Hi, my name is Martin Geitz. I'm president and CEO of Simsbury Bank, and I'm delighted to welcome you today to our second Manufacturing Matters podcast. I'm joined again today by Dr. Jim Lombella, who is president of Asnuntuck and Tunxis Community Colleges, Chris Holm, who is with Mott Corporation in Farmington, and Joe Vrabley, who is owner and president of Atlantic Steel and Processing in Waterbury. We're here today to continue a conversation about Connecticut's great manufacturing opportunities. We really need a holistic approach where we're, we're, we've got the educators, we've got the manufacturers, we've got uh, parents and families and guidance counselors all engaged in understanding this. And I wonder if you could uh, talk maybe, uh, uh, Jim, if you could talk a little bit more about, you know, is there still a lot of opportunity to get a more holistic approach to uh, this challenge we have to create a stronger uh, manufacturing workforce? Sure. One, one of the things that I'm actually doing is that I'm hosting a manufacturing roundtable at Tunxis. And at this point, I believe we have 60, 80. Um, I'm anticipating over 100 manufacturers in the room. And what we're going to do is we're going to have some serious conversations. I'm looking to build some advisory boards and build a model that we have in Enfield and what we've done with this Nuntuck to do that in the Farmington, Bristol, and in the center of the state. Also toured Bristol, uh, or also toured a Vinyl Tech recently as well, too, looking at the, that equipment. The state has a lot of these assets that we need to put to work, and they should be working until 10 o'clock at night, helping incumbent worker training, helping the unemployed individuals. We have to work. The educators and the manufacturers have to work together, design the skills, make sure it's it's the skills that they need, and, and then the magic happens. They get jobs, and they're flourishing, and it's helping our economy, and it just has this domino effect. So I think that that is the direction that, that I'm looking to go in, and the next month is bringing more manufacturers to the table and partnering with us. And, and I, I'm glad that's, you know, we're here discussing it today because we're not going to move ahead without a holistic approach to this issue. Because you have to have the private sector involved, but the public sector and the policymakers have to get involved. I mean, it's one thing to jump up and down to try to get votes, but when it comes to jobs and job creation and growing the economy, you really need to understand this. And and I give the current administration some credit, you know, to Jim's point is that, you know, a lot of money was put into education in Connecticut, whether it was technical education in the technical high schools or in higher ed through the community colleges. We we set up some of these programs and it did help, but we, we stopped short. We're, we're not doing enough. We, I think once you get momentum, um, you know, the ball will keep rolling. But, you know, one of the areas that we want to talk about is is benchmarking. And I think Connecticut has the platform. I mean, the technical high school system of 105 years old, uh, several thousands of, of kids that are involved, 17 different schools. I think we have more trade technologies than we need. I think we should focus on fewer things. Uh, but obviously that's selfish. If I was talking to a hairdresser, which I don't need, um, you know, they may disagree with me, but I think that the, our systems need to be leveraged. And when the only other state that has something close to us is Massachusetts, but they only have like a, a regional hub of technical education and then maybe a couple outlying schools. I mean, the longevity of our system, the staying power of our system what advocacy we do have, we really are out in front, but we have a long way to go. And people say, well, how would you compare us to another state? And I would say, you can't. If you want to compare us, compare us to Germany. Because in Germany, when you're a manufacturer, you are above scale. You know, you are considered to be an elite person in, um, in the workforce. And that's because it's a culture. And, you know, if I could afford to buy those type of cars, 
you know, it's the best technology in the world. And, and part of it is, you know, everybody wants to play in the NFL. You know, right now, everybody wants to be the governor. How many kids want to be in manufacturing? You know, we need to drive that cultural shift that, listen, you, you go to college because your parents wanted you to, and you graduated with, what's the average, $45,000 of debt, and you're underemployed, and you can't pay the debt back, so you're living at home with your parents, Carl Icahn's buying, you know, aftermarket auto part companies because he sees that we won't even be able to buy our own cars. We're going to have to car share. You know, that's not right. We should be able to get educated, get a decent job, you know, buy a house, uh, buy a car. And, and our type of jobs in our industry, like Mott and myself, we provide those type of jobs. So it a lot of it is y- you've got to get people like the DECD, the DOL, the private sector, the public sector, the policymakers. But I don't know, like you're here today, Simsbury Bank fostering this. I mean, this has got to take on a life of its own. And, and that's why I just don't see, you know, unless you're a, um, a, a, a high-ranking legislator or the governor or vice governor that, uh, you know, really has a passion for education, it, it all kind of drops down into our silos. Well, one of the things that, uh, again, uh, you've each touched on in some way is the importance of the people who influence our youth to uh, take a cur- particular career path. And, and uh, you know, Joe, with, with your company and Chris with yours, I'd be interested in your thoughts about, uh, you know, how do we do even more to influence the guidance counselors, influence the parents uh, that manufacturing can be a great, uh, a great career opportunity? I think we have great opportunities to bring members of our communities, students, educators, into our environments and demonstrate what's going on, demonstrate what it takes to be successful here. Um, We have put a lot of investment in our intern program, our cooperative student program, and uh, where we have been successful in attracting students is to host faculty, to host families. We have our annual days with our employees and we encourage them to bring their families. We have demonstrations, especially to their their children, of what's going on. So number one, you know, the children can see their parents really feeling excited about what they do. And we want that to be infectious. And, you know, we really like to cultivate our own because when their children are ready to join our workforce at any level, we want to give them that opportunity. But I, I think it's part of corporate citizenship, as well as selfishly making sure that our silos are filled. But we do have to establish this corporate citizenship amongst all of us, to your points, that, um, that we have to demonstrate the value of life in manufacturing. And it's not just the job, but it's the quality of life. I, I know in, in my area, and I agree with everything you said, you know, um, it's kind of like self-preservation. I mean, to me, I used to say as a, uh, a young, younger business owner that the most important asset you have is your customers. I still believe that's paramount. But the greatest asset you have is your human resource capital. And, 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 th- and if you have good people and you take care of them financially and benefits and s- respect, they will take care of your customers. And so we, I, I have a self need to make sure that I'm backfilling the senior nature of my employees as they retire with youth, because if I don't have that 
and I've always advocated if you're not growing, you're shrinking. And if you're shrinking, you're not going to make it. And so I can't sit back and, and wait for somebody to do something for me. I have to get involved. And so I've gotten involved in education. Sounded uh, with some of your comments earlier, Dr. Lambella, like you are doing things as Nuntuck and Tungsis are doing things today to regularly, really institutionalize communication with guidance counselors, you know, with students, with parents, and to show the opportunities that are available and the wonderful opportunities in manufacturing. I wonder if you could maybe expand a little bit on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's part of part of uh, the community college mission, and, and part of my personal mission mission is to make sure that we're helping educate and creating self sustaining, tax paying citizens, and and owning a home just like you talked about, and so forth. I've often said that we need to do a Saks Fifth Avenue marketing campaign, uh, for lack of a better term, and we really need to. One of the biggest Impacts, I should say, is do you all recall the Make It Here campaign and the commercials that were on TV recently and the, the jet flying through the air? And it actually sparked interest with, with a lot of youngsters and with students and so forth. And we need we need to continue that and we need to get get on the platforms and the media that the, these young individuals are using. And they're using social media. They're, they're looking at TV. Um, it's not so much a flyer or a poster in the guidance office anymore like it was in my day and age. It truly is. If we're not reaching out and inspiring them and showing them robotics and, and, and Chris, to your point, one of the things I'm going to be asking manufacturers about this month is how many of you in the room are willing to give tours of your modern manufacturing facilities? And we'll schedule tours with parents and guidance counselors and, and prospective students to go tour these, tour the facilities and tour, tour your businesses. Because once they get in there and they see, like I said, it, it's, it's clean rooms, it's, it's robotics, it's touchscreens. Um, I watch and I've, I've done these tours. Students' eyes almost become saucers and they open up and they're like, wow, this is not what I thought manufacturing was. So it's critical we have the tours. It's critical we have the experience to learn in the projects where they're actually welding a piece or they're designing it. Our, you know, our philosophy always is, even with our students in the college, you design it in the classroom. You learn, learn the CAD CAM, the blueprint reading, you design it, then you go to the production floor and you actually produce it. And that hands-on component, and we start off with the older machines so that they learn the foundation uh, of CNC machining. And it's not just about being a button pusher, it's about learning how to troubleshoot, how to do critical thinking when the production line is down or the machine is down. And so the students, were trying to give them that whole uh, piece. So it, it truly is educators, it's parents, it's a marketing campaign. We need to change the perception and get more people and youngsters interested uh, in manufacturing. And also not just youngsters. We find, you know, our average age is about 27 and a half years old. Uh, so we have a lot of workers that suddenly are finding themselves unemployed and now they want to do a career change because they've heard about manufacturing. And we're doing those tours daily at as Nuntuck as well too. So um, we need to inspire at every level that we can. Well, I think from a skill standpoint, we look for foundation skills. The types of skills that are, are that are coming out of our vocational schools, coming out of our community college programs. And, you know, another piece that goes on top of that, which the schools are doing a very good job with, is bringing kids to us, students to us, transitioning professionals to us that have already recognized the importance of continuous learning. Because what we are doing today, we're going to be doing it differently four years from now. And those people that are adaptable, those people that, and this probably sounds strange to people when we talk about manufacturing, creativity. We want people that are licensed to be creative, that have already stepped through that, oh, I have a great idea. Let me see if I can bring this to life. Because in our environments, in all of our environments, which are always continuous improvement, that creativity is going to manifest itself in a lot of business gains for us, whether it's process, new technology, uh, whether it's new products. And so, you know, in addition to those foundation technical skills, those critical thinking skills, the, the proficiencies in, in math, but another very key element to it is um, 
None of us operate in environments where people sit there and work alone. We always collaborate. So working in team building skills, team dynamics, people that enjoy that and have some of those experiences from their academic projects, Mm -hmm. that's worth their weight in gold to us. And Chris, I'll echo everything you just said, and we hear it over and over again. It is communication skills. And one of the things we try and teach, too, is and I've heard over and over, whether I'm sitting with a group of hospital employers or manufacturing employers, it's the soft skill set coming out of our next generation. That soft skill set is very important. Critical thinking, troubleshooting, truly are the skill sets in math and English. And it, you know, again, it just part of my mission is to make sure we're not saying that manufacturing is where students who are struggling need to go. And I've heard that theme for years and and really just trying to change that perception. Do you think that uh, from a skills point of view, uh, is there a general level of education that can lead you to a path to an eyelet manufacturing versus a metal stamping company versus a spring manufacturer? Is there? Yeah, I, I, I think so. But to Chris's point, the number one thing that we look at is work ethic. You know, it, it's, does, does that person want to get up every day and be at work at seven o'clock and want continuous improvement and wants to work in a team setting, doesn't have an attitude? We make an assumption that that's there. So let's say that, you know, maybe one out of 10 isn't there. Once we get through that general education knowledge in manufacturing, we're off and running. Absolutely. And Joe, to your point, I just want to specify, as having the unique perspective of being a president over two colleges, Tungsis, the Farmington region, and is Nuntuck, the Enfield region, I I very much am taking your approach. And that's why I'm bringing the manufacturers to the table, because as we design the manufacturing center for Tungsis, I want a spring machine in there. I want a bending machine. I want want a stamping machine specific to that region. One of the uh, other perception issues, I think, that some people have anyway with the manufacturing industry is that it's predominantly male-dominated. Um, number one, do you think that perception is still out there? And if so, uh, are there things that we should be doing or doing differently in order to make sure that people understand this is welcoming to, uh, everyone, men, women, uh, and, uh, and, and, a, a diverse group of people. Most definitely the perception is still out there, but here's the really good news. There are fantastic opportunities available. And uh, we are aggressively always seeking to increase the number of women in our workforce. There is fantastic opportunities. um, And, you know, the manufacturing industry is regrowing in its prominence with the types of opportunities available. And uh, the women that I've been speaking with uh, for internships, uh, we still would like to see more women choosing the technology path for their careers. And we have to be part of encouraging that. But there's fantastic opportunities and it's not the brutish, dirty uh, work in a dark area covered with machine oil anymore. It's clean rooms. It's um, very sophisticated furnace systems in our case. It's um, quality control. It's uh, um, prototype development. the bottom line is we need motivated, creative people. And I think it's a wonderful place for men and women. Um, but I think if the perception is uh, it's, a, it's a rough and tough and coarse environment, I think that's a perception of the past. It's not a reality 
for us right now. And what we're seeing that shift in education, I can tell you over the last nine years, um, uh, we've watched more females, more girls in manufacturing. Uh, we also bus in uh, annually 200 uh, uh, high schoolers, uh, females from, from area high schools, at least six or eight different high schools we bus in. And we put them through a manufacturing day or STEM day um, at his Nuntuck. And so many of those individuals, it's amazing that they walk out of there saying, I now know I can go into manufacturing. And the big attraction for a lot of the female students, I'll be honest, is, is the welding and fabrication uh, program that you just talked about. Um, and really, I think it's because there is that that element of of creativity and of design, and it's almost artistic, some of the, the welding projects that students do. And I'm amazed when I look at some of the stuff that they create uh, for sculptures and different things in welding. And and so I, I have seen a shift, and I know uh, at one point we were about 2 or 3% uh, female in our programs, and now we're upwards of, of cresting 15% um, or more. You know, this has been a really encouraging conversation. I, you know, I think one of the things in Connecticut is sometimes we're very clear on all of our challenges, and, and we can articulate those ad nauseum, but we, we sometimes uh, don't focus enough on the advantages we have and, and the progress that we've been making. And what I've heard from the three of you today who are all active in manufacturing in different ways and through uh, you know, your professions and your companies and the community college system is a, a whole bunch of examples of real-life things that have, are going on and are, are, are uh, leading to us building the pipeline of manufacturing uh, employees uh, and candidates that, that we need as a state to take advantage of this wonderful opportunity. We have this great uh, demand, and it sounds like a lot of work going on for supply. And uh, as everyone also uh, has noted, there's more work to be done. But this is truly a case where, you know, the glass is half full. You know, we're, we're making good progress. And to be a leader, uh, you know, in the country in, in uh, education and building a pipeline is really quite remarkable and something that uh, can just help uh, everyone feel better about and feel good about uh, the progress that we're making in this regard. So uh, I want to, I guess, give one last opportunity, though. We've touched on an awful lot of stuff uh, this afternoon uh, from supply and demand and perception and and skills and training. Was there anything that we missed, anything that anybody wants to add? There, there's uh, something, that I, and I always have fun with this topic. I, I don't think we should forget the heritage and the richness of the state of Connecticut. The fifth state in the United States, to this day, every military button that goes on and off on a uniform Infantryman officer is made in Waterbury, Connecticut. Waterbury Button Company, it's a brass company. It's been around since the turn of the century. We made the first warship in Essex. Uh, we had the first woolen mill and the first steel mill in Connecticut. We made the first sewing machine here in 1846. Um, we made the first clock. Uh, we made the first door locks, the mortise door locks. It's now Sergeant Lock, Abba Asaloy in New Haven. In 1929, Fred Rentschler started UTC. It's been divvied up, but it's still headquarters here today. And it, most recently, 1982, the first artificial heart uh, was made in Connecticut. So we, we have a heritage here and a richness of, of people that like to make stuff. And that's, at the end of the day, the reason I love manufacturing is I don't want to just sit at a computer and be a day trader in the stock market. I want to I watch something being made. Jim? 
Yeah, so some final thoughts, really. As an educator and as a college president, it's so important for me to be aligning individuals where, where not only jobs are, but careers are. Um, and I think we've all heard about individuals, that, and I think you touched base on it a, a little bit, uh, Joe, when you said that um, individuals are getting degrees and then they can't find jobs and what they have degrees in and, and so forth. So it, it's so important for me to make sure that we're, we're aligning those individuals. And I always say that they're more than jobs, they are careers. And having raised a family myself and having, having been, like I said, almost 20 years in, in the private sector in manufacturing, um, I understand, you know, what, how it's composed, what it's made of. And the final thought really would be the cost of education. Um, uh, and I've done studies for several years now at Nuntuck, and I can tell you it costs us to educate a manufacturing student, uh, costs $16,000. We bring in tuition from that individual $8,500. So for every student we enroll, we have to fill that gap of another almost $8,000 from state through appropriations, through our BNI training, being creative to generate our own revenue to do this. And that's where, and I I agree with you. I could take my three, four hundred popular, three hundred population up right now to five, six hundred students. Uh, but but to bring another three hundred students on, you do the math. Another eight thousand dollars a piece. I need some additional funding to make this happen. And I think that's where some of these partnerships uh, uh, need to take place. And, and uh, I'm certainly in, in Hartford on a regular basis, making sure that that, that our, our legislators are aware of this as well too. And like I said, I don't want to say we have the state has not been generous to us. Nuntuck, very generous. We built a wonderful thing there. I think we can build more. I think we can do it quickly. But it's gonna it's gonna take some funding to do that, and, and we're all aware of the fiscal challenges in the state, too. So we've got a few dynamics going on here that are, are certainly at play. But uh, uh, just going back, I think a wonderful conversation, and uh, you know, I thank, thank each of you today for the conversation because I'm leaving here also inspired as well. I want to thank the three of you very much for participating in this uh, podcast today. This has been wonderful and, and educational. Simsbury Bank's interest in manufacturing, candidly, is that banks are nothing more than a reflection of the local economy. Uh, being a local bank focused on Connecticut, we think strongly that the manufacturing uh, opportunities that the state has are just terrific and enormous, and we want to do everything we can to, uh, to support the manufacturing uh, economy in the state of Connecticut because it's going to help the economy and it's going to ultimately help us as a bank. Uh, so we want to be a great partner to uh, all the folks who are working on this, uh, this, this great challenge. And it's uh, uh, just terrific that uh, we're already uh, well making great progress uh, in, in the area. So again, thank you all very much and see you soon. Thank you.